Okay, so welcome to another episode of The Modern Goddess. We have with us the beautiful um, and wonderful soul, Emma French, and um, we are very proud to have her on the show. She's going to come at it from a beautiful spiritual point, point of view. She's a healer. She um, creates incredible events for people in the local area and you'll get to know a little bit about her. But for now, please welcome Emma. How are you? Hey, Katrina. Good. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me here today. I'm sure you're nervous as hell. You always are with these things when you have to talk about yourself. Oh. It's like your worst subject. Yeah. Yes, it's not. It's not my most comfortable place, I must admit. But um, something called me to say yes when you sent me the email. So here we are. <laughs> Here we are. So the, the Modern Goddess is about checking in with women at the moment just to see where are we up to with um, what do we want, what do we need, what do we desire, whether we're single, whether we're in a long-term relationship, whatever. I'm going to talk to all sorts of women and um, we want to get it from all sorts of points of view about what do we want now as the Modern Goddess and how do we feel loved? So I ask you that one question, Emma. How do you, how do I love you properly if I was to be your partner? Um, that was a good question that I've been thinking about since, since you asked me um, last week. And I was thinking the only thing that comes to mind for me is is uh, listening, having that time to be able to share and connect with that being fully, with someone being fully present. If I'm feeling someone's very present with me, then I can almost surrender and just, just reveal myself, reveal my emotions. Um, I think that's the most important thing is being able to be heard and to be seen in that in that moment. Um, but also not just in a moment, but just being able to have somebody checking in and always having an open dialogue and being heard. That's one of the key things for myself, I think, personally. Yeah, that's beautiful and, and very gentle. And how, you, you said there was two parts to it. One is that you, um, you sort of reach out and when you arrive there wanting to be listened to, but there was also this other part of it where you want something proactive to happen and for them to check in with you. Is Have I picked yeah. that up correctly? Yeah, because I think, like a lot of women, I think we get on with our days, we get on with our, the things that we're meant to do. And before we know it, we've suppressed a lot of emotions and feelings and we don't realise. And it's it. I think it's a beautiful thing of a partner is in tune with that and it's a tentative to be able to ask certain questions or just even how are you throughout the day or throughout the week that allows you to check in with yourself because it is sometimes a thing that we put to the side and we're not so sure and me being a watery pisces i think that's it's a very common thing for me just to get on with things get on, you know and there's so many emotions and things brewing underneath sometimes um of course i can sit in meditation i can do certain things to help myself and to to come up with things and do some art therapy or something around it but for a partner to be able to sit with you and ask you and you think to yourself hmm, how do I feel hang on a minute today I haven't been feeling good or today I've been feeling great and kind of just uncover those emotions and be able to express them like honestly and to whatever depth that you need to uncover them to be able to let that energy flow between you and your partner. Like, I think that's a beautiful way of being able to feel free. And I think that goddess energy is all in that as well, in that flow and being able to express honestly and deeply. Do you think, um, there's a lot going on in my mind, so just bear with me as I try to unpack this based on what you've just said. First of all, is there men out there that are able to actually ask us how do you feel but really mean and hold space for us as we go through that process of finding out well how do i feel and what was my day 
And is there enough patience and time to even bother to unpack it? Or don't bother, he's not really asking, he's just saying, are you okay? And moving on, he doesn't really want to know. That's a good point. And I think that a majority of people in relationships do fall into that, where it's like, yeah, yeah, it's been great, it's been fine. And you know that you've only got a small window to say exactly how you've been feeling. And generally we nut that down to a few words. Um, yeah, I mean, my, in my own experience, I don't often get that time either. And it's often funny enough, and I think a lot of women may find this too, it's not until things start to really start to build up in us and we start to feel that we're going to explode with emotions before we can actually say, I need to express myself. I need to get to this point. I need you to listen now. Can we sit and express, sit and have that open dialogue, open conversation, because otherwise I can't suppress anymore. I'm getting too full with my own emotions. So you're right. I, I, and I know it's probably not a common theme in a lot of relationships. And especially kind of the work that I do when I have any clients when I'm doing counselling type of work with people, often it is couples end up kind of going their own ways because they don't ever have that time to have those proper intimate conversations about what's rising underneath, what's happening underneath for them. Do you think that, that we should do that intuitively and just organically or do you think we should do that more formally in the day? like actually sit down in the old days, we used to sit around the meal table and perhaps have an opportunity to talk. But these days we don't really do that as such. So should we be doing it daily? Um, I think if people start doing it daily, it would be, it'd become part of a routine that they can actually start to adjust to. But I don't think it's something you can suddenly start to do because people don't always want to speak about their emotions and feelings either because that process sometimes can take days. So it may be that you people just want to have that organic approach and every now and then be able to connect and start having those conversations. So I think it would totally be diff different for different people, what they do in their work, the type of relationship they have, how open each other are, each other is to, to doing this. But mm. so it's a good point. I think you bring up for me the, the, a very, very good point that sometimes I'm still processing myself and I might not have articulation about how I feel. And um, yeah. for intuitive people and empathic people, um, well, I'll just talk about myself for the time being because I'm, I'm sure as an empath yourself, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to relate. But... I often don't know how I personally feel and it's it's actually a very big process for me to shut off from all other connections. Then I have to reconnect with myself and then go in and then come out with articulation about what my feelings actually are and where I'm actually at. And that's laborious and sometimes I can't be bothered doing that because I just want to say I'm fine. Um, because to pull off, to go in, to pull out is just too hard. Yeah, there's a lot of energy that goes into that, isn't there? Yeah, for us. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I agree. That's why I think for myself, it would go, I'd go on for a long time without actually really delving too deep. And then suddenly there'd be a couple of triggers and then suddenly they're like ready. They're ready to come out. I've done yes. the processing. I've done all of the stuff. I've done all of the you know, what I don't like, what I do like, and now I'm ready to, you know, explode with it, if you like, or emotionally come out with that, um, that conversation or what, what it is that I need. Um, and sometimes, like I said, you, sometimes we don't know and we can't articulate it ourselves. That's, that's very normal. And sometimes you know it feels there's something not quite right or something feels a little bit off balance. You just want to learn how to or, or work out what that is exactly and sometimes it's the same old story so we don't want to keep repeating ourselves right so sometimes it's that oh here again i have this thing this come this thing that i know that it keeps coming up this nagging thing that i'm unhappy with and sometimes we don't want to hear ourselves repeat it either so we just maybe just let ourselves kind of ride with it and maybe chat to friends and and other goddesses and kind of <laughs> release release all that stuff with them rather than put it on our partners or or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so I think what we're describing is one of the things, one of the very big things that confuses men. And I just wonder, is there any advice that you could give to men that would help them create that ideal, um, create that ideal space for us to have a chance to possibly connect with it and possibly articulate it to them and bring them into our world on that issue? Um, I think, I think one of the key things is don't always take the first answer. Men don't always take the first answer that a woman gives you. Because I think we're very, very good at just... And if once a friend told me this, which I found was a really interesting way of explaining it. She says sometimes people just report on how they're feeling rather than express it on those, the deeper levels of it. And I think we're very good at doing that. So if a guy really wants to connect with you deeply, don't take that first answer always as how the feeling is. Allow our say, is that, is that all you're feeling? Can you, go, can you explain a little bit more? Why, where's that come from? And just kind of delve down a little bit and just, 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 I think a lot of time though, a lot of men, I don't want to generalize, but men are scared of emotions. I mean, in my experience and with a lot of friends, um, that I find when they speak to me about certain issues with their girlfriends or their friends is that they don't tend to want them to be emotional. They don't want women to express the emotions because they f then start to feel that they're, they're um, failing in some way and they can't help them. But I know a lot of people and there's a lot of books, and a lot of um, authors and films that explain that women don't necessarily speak about their emotions straight away anyway so there needs to be a lot more holding that space for that woman to be able to then open up it's not usually just a one question one answer i know my poor husband has had to spend sometimes up to 10 hours getting to it <laughs> um and gosh that's not really um going to be realistic for most people no. Um, most don't have that ability to just slowly ease me into it. And it's not that I'm difficult. It's just that I, I think that I'm so used to processing other people's fear and I've got very big muscle on being able to process other people's feelings and, and tapping into what's going on there as a coach, as a mentor, as a, you know, as a therapist, just like, yourself, Emma, you're in that therapeutic counselling mode all the time. It's very hard to flip out of that into um, your own counsellor and people asking those questions. It's almost, it feels in my body, it feels annoying in my body. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I think it can, it, for me, I get fatigued if I haven't actually faced some of my own things, my own emotions, and I'm only helping others and I'm pulling mine aside, then I start to feel fatigued and I start to realise that I don't have the energy to keep, you know, opening up myself when I haven't yet processed or dealt with what I'm feeling in the moment. And as we know, you all know, you know, as a healer, continuously working on ourselves. So we haven't got that time or we're not actually doing that in our partnership um and then we can feel heavy with that um knowing that we've got to go down there sometimes it's a real mental thing too it's like there's something that's nagging you and it goes on for days and going for weeks and you know that you've got to face it you know you've got to work with that but you don't you just put it off put it off because you know that it's like it's a heavy thing to deal with or you'd rather just not go there yeah <laughs> I reckon a lot of people in the lockdown um, has ha have, have, to, have had to face themselves and have had to face their relationship. And um, I just wonder what, the, what we're going to learn out of all of this about relationships. And I bet you a lot of people are just going to call it quits after this because it's just, 
there was nowhere to run. There was nowhere to hide. You had to mm. face your demons inside mm. yourself and inside your own relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of couples spend so much time apart, don't they? They spend a lot of time, they spend more time with their colleagues than they do with their partners. So suddenly they're having to spend all of that time with their partner. And they'd like to say there'd be nowhere to hide for some people and others. It could be very healing. Maybe, you know, they've been wanting to spend time together and just not being able to find that space. So maybe they've been able to connect in that time too. And I've been very open with uh, my relationship with um, Anthony is that he's, he, when we moved up to the central coast, he found it hard finding work. And I know I've shared this with you before and it become a time when he's at home, and I work from home and I do everything in my own sanctuary. But having your partner in that sanctuary can be very hard because for me to be able to feel more joy and to be able to be happy in myself, I need my own time. I need that space and I need to be able to walk around, potter around, do my own thing without explaining anything and find my own momentum. And if I don't have that, I seem to shut, shut, I just seem to put a bubble around me and not be able to do anything sometimes. And then, you know, it, it becomes a big pressure then, especially over time when that builds and builds and I haven't been able to have my space. So I think um, I'm lucky because now Anthony's actually with his works, his business is thriving and through the, this coronavirus period he's been working the whole time so i'm suddenly started feeling more lonely and i haven't felt like that for ages <laughs> oh that's good yeah. where's my partner <laughs> yeah right that's amazing i think what you were going through in your 30s um is reasonably unusual because back in the day we didn't work from home as such so you know you would have been out yourself working right. but now yeah. women are working from home and running businesses now it's a real you know the numbers are up and um what you're describing is what women experienced at 60 and 70 when their men retired and were suddenly home whereas yes, you, you were experiencing it in your 30s four, well, 40s now yeah so and yeah, 40s, yeah. It, yeah that's the thing because you 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 always think, oh, soon it'll be, something will come soon and I get my space, you get your time. So you're fine for a while. And then when, when you realise it's not coming, you, I don't know, I think that people are different. People will be like, well, I'm going to then make my short, I'm out of the house and go and do my thing. But for me, I need that sanctuary. Like you talk about the goddess energy. If I don't, I need to build up that palace, if you like, for myself. I need to be able to be in that space and to be silent. So I spend a lot of time in complete silence. I might have music and I'll be on my computer working and so you're chatting to people, but I have silence around me. And you, as you know, a lot of men aren't necessarily silent, silent people. So I find that, you know, my partner will be out playing football in the, in the backyard, you know, he's making things. And so there's suddenly this noise around me and it's, that's just a personal thing. Like I do love to have gentleness and silence around me. I, I think that's the most important thing. So I, I imagine when people do, when husbands do retire, I know, and then they start to come home, a lot of marriages are then really tested mm. later on. Absolutely. Like, and they don't survive together. looking at the statistics because mm. they haven't planned for that new transition. Um, but no, I totally relate, Emma, to what you're saying because I work from home. My place is a sanctuary. Um, I work in complete silence. I've tried music on in the background and it just um, uh, it doesn't give me the, the level of focus that I can have in silence. And, um, yeah, it's just weird. Even when he's doing the washing and I can hear the the clattering of the iron coming out i found it really abrasive and really like oh <laughs> i don't yeah. want all that sound around me yeah it kind of brings me back it brings me out it brings me back into kind of that a, a different reality i think so if i'm in silence and i can potter around doing the things i need to do check in with my clients do my um design work create the events that i'm creating i'm in that momentum 
and any noise can pull me out of that quite easily. So I, it's, yeah, the silence is a good focus for me. And it's interesting because I'm 44 now, but in my 20s, I did not want to be on my, I hated being on my, being on my own. I didn't like any kind of separation from my partner. Um, I wanted to spend more time with friends and I wanted to fill that space all the time with somebody or something or always on the phone and to, to people all the time because I just didn't like being on my own. I, I just didn't like to face myself, I guess. And then after now 15, 20 years later, I'm finding the opposite. It's, it's what I need is it, what I was running away from or trying to fill in. I actually needed. It's actually very healing for me. So I think that's been a beautiful lesson and learning curve for me through the years of growing is having that space and it's not um, separation. I, I've taught myself that separation is liberation. So I feel liberated when I'm, when I'm actually on my, on my own again. It's just me and it's quite a liberating feeling because you just got you to focus on. Yeah, mm. so what we're learning from you today, Emma, is that to feel loved, nurtured and supported you need that listening piece and we've sort of unpacked that but also you're revealing that um alone time as the modern goddess is probably important and that could be very good for women to consider about how much time they actually get alone and whether they're actually comfortable with that alone time and have they matured yeah like you over the years to actually finding it creating it and then honoring it um and then living with it in peace which is wonderful because i totally agree with you i came from a very frantic family i had three sisters it was on for young and old there was no peace no quietness um, and once I left that home, I was able to move in with my husband um, at 18. And I think part of that transition from home to his flat was very, it was finding peace and no, the, the, you know, just finding peace, not having all the activity around me. But even in those days, in my early 20s, I was out partying the whole time and now mm. i wouldn't want that life under any circumstances being at home being safe mm. and having peace is just fantastic now and i must admit i think i've matured into it as well over the years and maybe that's just normal who knows maybe we all do yeah. that well possibly but then there are a lot of women that they really need to be with someone they need to have that someone around them a lot of the time i think a lot of people need to need someone there to be able to reflect that they are somebody because it we, we're kind of rattling around in the world <laughs> and when there's somebody around us we can kind of have that you know interaction with someone to make us feel alive and a lot of people don't realize that you know silence or being on your own um you can feel more alive than any any other time but people often feel like it it brings it's fear for them to be on their own what is a lot of other meaning behind it for certain people but yeah. i also just want to, oh, i was on. going to say the other th another little twist on 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 this is i was once in a relationship the one before this one so i've only had three main long-term relationships and the middle one was a very um it was a toxic one in, in terms of there was no trust whatsoever and um that he he um I lost that trust in him and we were trying to make the relationship work more I was trying being the one trying to make it work and I, I knew there was not no trust but I wanted to try there was a potential there you know when women fall in love with a potential rather than a person and I was definitely in that um, in that with this relationship so I didn't have, he would go and do his thing, he'd be working and things and I was on my own and being around him was very intense, he was Italian, he was very full on um, and it was exciting but then I needed my space because he would be very clingy and then once he was gone it was great, I could relax but because there was no trust I couldn't relax and my head would be switched on to what's happening 
you know, um, the insecurities would come up and I would start to feel nervous. And being on my own ended up becoming very, very painful because I wasn't being, I wasn't able to be here, be here now in, in the present with me and what I'm doing. Because my head was always, what's he doing? And that was a horrible experience. It was a big wake up call too. So it, it was, it showed me that I love being on my own, but I wasn't free. Freedom's one of my biggest things in life. Like I have to feel free. And living by myself and having a partner around sometimes and leaving, that all sounds beautiful. But if you haven't got trust, you're never free. You haven't, you're not free in your mind. And I, after leaving that relationship, that's when I, I claimed that term, separation is liberation, because I remembered feeling free that I didn't have to worry anymore. It was not my responsibility and I didn't have to chase or care about what's happening um, in his life and I could just leave it. And I was, I think that was the biggest breakthrough for me and feeling liberated. And then the relationship I'm in now, I don't have any of that distrust and you, you feel completely free in, the, in your mind. And you know, whatever's happening, wherever you both are, you find yourself, you feel safe. And I think that's one of the main keys as well in a relationship is that you feel safe together or apart, that you, you're free to, to be yourself and that you've, you can have that trust in somebody that they are there. They are fully there for you only. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think peace of mind, imagine if women had peace of mind um, throughout their lifetimes, they'd be able to do so much with their life because a lot of the time they don't feel safe and they don't feel secure and they don't feel supported. Mm. And so their whole mind is yeah. filled with this worry, as you say, and this, um, this concern about the other person. And what a, what a waste of energy. However, unless you feel safe, unless you have that trust, your mind is going to be taken up with this problem. And, oh, gosh, if we could free all women from that and give them yeah. peace of mind, imagine what you, you would be capable of doing 10 times yeah. more, 100 times more. Totally. I agree. Because it's, yeah, because you're, you're so consumed by it. You're so consumed by somebody else. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily someone else. Some people are consumed with worries, anxiety about health or, wor or other kind of worries. But I guess in the context of what we're speaking about and the goddess energy, maybe being consumed by, you know, fears about a partner or insecurities about a partner, particularly, it's, it's debilitating. It mm. really is. And I, like I said, I have been there. And you want to, and it, it, being a spiritual being, you want to let, you want it to heal that. You want to heal distrust. You want to heal the insecurity. So you do more work on yourself. You do more courses and more healings. And, you know, you really focus more. And at the end of the day, sometimes if you haven't got trust, you know, I, I just think, You've got you know, if you haven't got a people mind, and in this case, it was trust in a partner, then it's just going to, totally waste your days trying to find it it's sometimes yeah, yeah you, one person said to me about a peace of mind and about trust is if you haven't got if you're not in a partnership where you do have complete loyalty and trust in that person he says like having a car with no engine you can go and sit in the car as long as you like you can have as much fun in the car but because there's no engine it's not going to go anywhere so, and it was kind of felt like that really. It's like we were just in limbo because I knew, I knew that if I'm never going to trust, I'm never going to be able to move. I was stuck. Um, and I know I'm emphasizing the trust thing, but I think that can be translated to other things as well um, in life, in yeah. partnerships. Well, to me, I'm visualizing that trust is almost like the, um, the foundation of a relationship. It's like 101 is there's got to be trust and from the foundation you can build your house um, from there but without the basics of the trust thing why bother building a house on top of no trust it would be a house of cards essentially going to collapse at any time absolutely and then you have to build up again i think that's a, that's what happened with this it was a short it was kind of two three years but you, i just remember you'd feel the collapse 
and then you start building up and it feels really good and you think yeah you know finally i'm at this place and just with one thing the whole thing can collapse again and you feel you know and after a while you are so exhausted that you're giving and particularly for women i think that you give so much especially if you are an empath you can feel you know there's some particular things in in the partner that you know that's not really good for you you being the empath you feel what that is and you want to help them to feel that you want them to be that person so that's why i think i say you fall in love with the potential because you could see you know how much if i give them all this energy and you know support them and do all the healing with them and on them and you know and then they would be the that person that i'm sure that they are but i think all you do is you drain yourself completely and realize that they're not going to be that person yeah yeah i often say when i'm counseling i'll say not in this lifetime Sometimes the yeah. healing is just too long and drawn out. They'll never do the work. We might do the work as women. That's cool yeah. and groovy, but that's only half the equation. The other person has to do the work. And when we give up on them um, and say, okay, I've tried and I've failed, um, it's because, you know, it's just not in this lifetime is that development going to occur. Yeah. But, you know, the no, beauty of it is it will occur in us and they've given us that opportunity to, to build that muscle and to improve inside of ourselves. Totally. Between that's very, very true. Yeah. I definitely look back at those years and think of all the things that I, like I said, I was trying to get all the kind of healing. And I, started, I discovered more things, that, you know, more tools for myself, you know, like in that time too. And, um, and for me, the healing was the feeling liberated, having the extreme separation anxiety to not having, having like to feeling free, not, not feeling tied. Um, but yeah, that is a very good point. Mm. Well, that brings me to your concept. You said earlier that your number one value or one of your most important values was freedom. And you know me, Emma, that is my number one <laughs> value is freedom. Everything I do is based around how can I have more freedom um, and how can I maintain my complete freedom in the best possible way. So. Um, would freedom in a relationship with built on trust, would that be the holy grail of relationships? Is that what we're all trying for deep down? We just don't know how to uh, express it? Hmm. I think so. I know that all my relationships, I've never felt that I've never had a controlling partner. You know, I've never, I, I think even if I'm someone, well, actually, I don't have a controlling partner, but they, everybody has an element of trying to control in some way. So if I feel like I'm being told what to do or not or what not to do, you know, I kind of, that's my trigger. I'm like, ah. That's my trigger. <laughs> <laughs> That'll set me off every time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for, me, for myself, it's free. To, if I'm feeling free and being, in being myself in a partnership, then it will have longevity because I know that I'm not going to be suffocated. Um, but I, there's a lot of women out there that this isn't that they've not experienced this before. They continuously attract partners that are controlling and dominating, um, and they probably a lot of people don't even know what freedom in a relationship is. I think, and so they they will continuously attract the same kind of relationship because they've not had anything else. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day. Freedom, along with honesty and trust, are for me. They're definitely my values in life, anyway. So they've got to be in my relationship. Mm. Um, I'm a I'm a very good detector of of anything that's dishonest. It's very lying is very transparent for me. So you know, if I feel that there's any of that going on, then or everything that my world will stop and I will focus on that because it will be like you need to be there needs to be an honest honesty here there needs to be trust here for me to be free so if that's not happening and i don't feel free then there's trouble there's gonna this is not going to work unless we sort this out unless we deal with this now yeah yeah absolutely yeah um you're right about um women never experiencing what it is to be free and just to clarify guys what we're talking about is um not just the bare basics of being able to jump in your car and go somewhere or freedom to work or free to have children or not to have children or any of those sort of 
freedoms, what Emma and I would consider just basic human rights. But we're talking about the freedom to be yourself. And I think in the early episodes, what came up really strongly, very quickly in episode one and two and three was straight up the women said, I want to be free to be myself. That was their one of their benchmarks as to how they feel mm. loved. The more they're able to just be themselves, the more they felt loved. And I thought, wow, that's extraordinary. I did not expect that to come up so strongly. And here it is again, freedom. We're talking about it from another point of view, but still, uh, is what we're talking about, Emma, is it really freedom to express and be who you are? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think the other word that comes to me is content, contentment. You have to feel content. And if you're content, you feel free because you know that everything's okay. It's, it's kind of comes down to that simple, basic need. Everything needs to feel okay and I need to feel content. And I think that's, there's some freedom in that. Um, and I know that's definitely my personal thing. I need to feel, that was something I wanted in my next relationship was contentment. I was very, very clear about that um, because contentment overrides overrides um, the need to, that overrides not being free because I think if I'm content, then I'm okay. I, I, I think that's how, how it boils down for me. Freedom is definitely um, underneath everything from, from myself. And I think, yeah, you're a lot of women, especially a lot of women in our age or our era, um, we, we all kind of want to be independent and be our own boss or have the right to choose what we wear, our friends, um, how we look. I think it's really important. That's how we're expressing ourselves. Mm. But yes, I, I do know there's a lot of women that may not experience this or may have limitations put on them. Um, and if you're not content in your mind, you're not free. That's how I see it. You've got to have that contentment. I totally agree. I think the word I might use um, more than content is, I, and it's the same word to me, content and neutral. If I'm neutral, um, that means I'm not triggered in any way and I'm not depressed about yeah. anything. I'm just neutral. I can get on with it. It means I'm not in anything. And um, that brings me to the point, Emma, and in your therapeutic practice, I bet you see this a lot, is that some people are just not comfortable with the contentment. They're more energised by drama. And I call them drama Bahamas. And this is, I remember distinctly when I realised this in my own life, is when I found contentment, I had to really go and do some work on myself to get away from thinking that that was boring. <laughs> It's so odd because I think I before I understood about the drama cycle and before I understood that I had been brought up in a dramatic dr drama-filled home, um, when I found peace and contentment, I then had to deal with the fact, well, is it too boring? And are you going to be okay with that? And gosh, thank God, I worked out that peace and contentment is way more beautiful and amazing and it's not boring at all it's just a wonderful platform from which to launch from nothing boring about it it just you've got the headspace to do whatever you want and the freedom to do whatever you want so i've been through that roundabout what's your take on all that i know i agree with everything you say and i when you said the word platform, I had that form in, in my mind too. It is completely contentment. It's, yeah, people are also addicted to that drama. So they think there's no drama in their lives. You know, where's this energy going to go? Yes. Um, and I think we're, we're natural creators. Oh. So when we are content and there is that blank canvas or that platform, we can then plug into creativity and oh. focus that drama into some, creating something beautiful. Yes, yes, you're just lighting me up. Sorry, I'm having major waves of um, goosebumps all over my body as you said that. So, sorry, I'm, I'm having, a, having a moment of just, wow, like 
to live creatively and to co-create with the universe, the only way you're going to have that is if you're on the platform of contentment and peace. I just yeah. realised, like, you can't come from a drama-filled life of, of non-expression and inability to be yourself. It's impossible. Yeah. There's too much energy drain to go into the drama, into the emotions, into trying to fix things. You know, while you're in that space, you're not building that platform, you know, and you can't launch yourself into that beautiful place of creativity and aligning with what, you know, the cosmos and what the cosmos wants for you. Um, people try and juggle it all the time, but it's, it can be, drain, it can be a, a drain on most people. Um, yeah, I, I think, but I think we had to all go through those experiences to be able to realise this too. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want to know where you, this is the point of the podcast, is we want to sort of give um, men a bit of a look-see behind the curtain and get some understanding around what women are thinking and how they sort of operate. And there's lots and lots of um, great general information, even so far in our recordings about what are some of the commonalities and what are some of the real deep insights you can get. But the other side of it is giving women an opportunity to have a peek behind the curtain of other women and see what they can find there and see if what we're saying is of any use to their articulation about who they are, what's the possibilities, what are they striving for, what's possible these days. And I think, um, our relationships, because they're more long-term, we've kind of gone through decade after, well, in my case, it's sort of, I'm three decades in, and I can see um, the levels of development within, within that. And I think women are curious about how does that work and what do you see at each decade? And is it worth going through it? Or do you just call it quits at five years because it's getting a little bit tough? Or is it worth pushing through to the other side of that fence and seeing what's there and what you can grow there that's different from what you couldn't grow before? Mm -hmm. I, that would definitely, I think, come down to the actual people in the relationship, like on both sides. Um, if that's what you mean, if you're in a, a that relationship for that time, is that what you meant? And then you can push through and it can come, yeah. Um, because something just something just does just, just die something that's that connection just isn't there anymore so there is no if there's no energy there to to build that momentum again I, I guess so some people are able to be able to leave and start again with somebody else but mm. there's so many opportunities that people do have that you know sudden growth with each other that they realize hang on let's let's give it a go on this level now we're both here and then something beautiful can come from that well that um, brings me to the point why are women scared to perhaps leave when the energy's gone now because a lot of people and i i know myself people that are very scared to be on their own they're very fearful that they won't meet somebody else um and even for myself, if I was to think if my relationship now wasn't going to work and then if I need to leave, what am I scared of? Um, a lot of the, I, what I don't particularly like to, to get in, into is the, again, like we were talking about the drama, is the emotional drama of ending a relationship, the pain that comes with that, the guilt, it's very yucky. It's a very yucky thing. Mm. And I think a lot of people just don't want to go there to, to experience that right now, some people might be thinking maybe you know in, in in the future it might have to come inevitably it will come to this, but it's just I think mentally we have to prepare ourselves for that, and we realize if that you know we're going to go down that road, it might be a very hard thing to do, and empaths don't like hurting anyone or they feel the pain that they inflict on others, and I know for myself leaving relationships. I grieved the relationship and I grieved their pain before I grieved my own pain. So it's, you know, you know, you're in for a really big kind of journey to end something. Uh, that's how I feel personally. And some people can get up and leave and actually okay with that. But for myself, I, I, I couldn't, 
I feel that I feel the person's pain as much as I feel mine. So I, I, I don't want to put them through that if I feel that. Um, no. So I think people are, are sometimes wedged, you know, in the emotional aspect. There's the physical aspect of separation. Um, and then the fear of what if I'm on my own? What if I don't meet anyone? Maybe this is it, you know? Mm. So, I mean, of course, there's also um, the um, belief systems people have that they deserve what they get. You know, they should, this is all they're worth. And, you know, there's a lot of confidence issues that come with people staying in relationships and not leaving when they should. Um, so, yeah, there's so many, so many different um reasons why people stay or, or leave relationships mm. i was talking to um some professional relationship um specialists and um there's some real basics that are not being taught to humans um around relationships and communication and just some of the basics and i thought isn't that interesting how we don't know how to deal with conflict coming out of primary school we still don't know how to deal with conflict coming out of high school and so what's what's to say that we're going to become or have the ability to deal with conflict as we get through our 20s 30s 40s and 50s i certainly yeah. had no skills whatsoever to deal with conflict i ran a mile when it came to conflict and I walked into this relationship with somebody that was very comfortable with conflict and quite willing to stay and talk it out. Whereas I was a head in the sand, shut down type of gal coming out of my family home. We swept it under the carpet, as we like to say. Um, and then I had to learn very quickly to actually face it and fight and deal with it and resolve it. And um, yeah, it's been quite the journey in that regard. How do you feel about conflict now that you're grown up? <laughs> Not quite, maybe. Um, but funny, when you were telling me that story, it was the other way around for me and Anthony. Um, when we first met, he couldn't, didn't express, he was somebody that his family maybe didn't express as much as my family or communicate in the same way. So I've... Um, I found that with Anthony, he shut down and put his head in the sand. But he, he would shut down and not speak. It would be complete silence. Like, could go on for a day or two or more. Oh, Emma, and I could do two weeks. Yeah, I think no, women can definitely do longer, maybe. Two weeks. I think I've been there. I have been there. Yeah. It was pretty <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, one day yeah. would have been very healthy for me. <laughs> Well, I think when I was younger, I remember being in those kind of moods too uh, and well, shut down myself. But I think I learned not to shut down and I got over that probably. But then when I met my partner now, um, and then he'll go into the big silent treatments. Well, it wasn't a punishment, but it's because he was shut down inside because he didn't know how, what to say. He wanted to find the right thing and he didn't know what it was. So he'd just rather not say anything. Yes. And it was complete silence. And it, we broke up actually at the beginning. We broke up for a short time because I, I said to him, that's not how I do things and there's no way I could cope. It's the most awful. It feels, it feels abusive. I mean, the last thing he is is abusive, but it feels that because you, you don't know what's happening in that silence. What are they thinking? Are they thinking they, this is, the relationship's not wrong? Are they going to leave? Are they, you, and so you become insecure in that silence and that, that was not and that's that's a no for me because I just come out of a big insecurity relationship so I wasn't going to have that and that was my I ended it just it hadn't been we weren't together that long but I recognized it that quickly and I said that's that's not on because if you don't sit and talk about things and you just shut down like that that's for me it's suffocation like I I'm like him being this you know fiery Leo too he's he imagine he like puts all that inside so he kind of he's external is quite becomes angry or angry looking and you don't want to go there and so it's just all silence um bubbling up as fires bubbling up inside so um 
he lucky enough and we did we were only apart probably for a week and he did a lot of reflection and contemplation and come back and um he do, we doesn't really do those long silences anymore of course we have the tips where we don't talk to each other for a while but it's not that same oh, long silence <laughs> <laughs> but that's what happens and we <laughs> shut down completely yeah that's i i don't like being on the other end of that no i can imagine it's extreme isn't it um and yeah, I, I uh, uh, Charles, my partner, was very, um, very quick to nip that in the bud. He he saw the pattern very early on in the relationship, and then um, what he used to do was say something that was factually incorrect, and it would it would encourage me, and I would jump into the conversation again because I would um, defend the. Um, the allegation that was incorrect and he purposely used to say something outrageous that was wrong and straight away my eyes would open and I was back in the game so anytime I would shut down he'd just say something wrong and I would be back in so he learned that he could get me to re-engage quite quickly but yeah. that was his little strategy just to keep me in the game so that we could get to the bottom of the problem and that was a real secret to our success is that because there was no drugs or alcohol involved with Charles, he was always sober. So, because uh, he doesn't drink. Um, and so what that meant was every fight we had and every resolution that we really got to in the end was permanent. It was resolved. We could move on to the next problem. Whereas in a lot of other relationships, because you're fighting when you're drunk and you don't remember and it's not resolved and no one really talked about the real issue, because we wouldn't get to the real issue until sometimes five hours into the fight. And so you've got to have stamina for that sort of thing. A lot of people want to resolve conflict as quick as possible, whereas we wouldn't get to the real core of the problem for ages. And so, yeah, just... Um, it just uh, I think being sober is part of it and making sure that people are fighting on a, a rational platform rather than an irrational drunken thing that no one's going to remember the details of tomorrow anyway. And so yeah, and, usually, and usually the fight, if they're under the influence of any kind of substance, then they're their emotions are heightened anyway and their sensitivity so it could be they're filing on something that in a normal state of mind it wouldn't really affect them so it's wasted energy really to, to be able to you know to start a fight because they're not thinking like you say they're not in a rational state of mind to work out actually did that really hurt me or am I just jumping on some old you know old patterning that doesn't mean anything to me anymore which is yeah. very common I guess <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah I, I I, we not having alcohol we don't drink either so Anton and I've never if any kind of argument we've had it's definitely never been under the influence of alcohol because we don't have that in our lives really so um uh, but as a teenager in in um, a relationship I remember lots of fights under under the influence of alcohol you know like yeah your mind goes crazy it's, yeah yeah more paranoid you you're easy to throw blame and um, all sorts of things when you're under that influence, but that's a long time, long time memory for me, like to, to remember that. Yeah, that's why I bring up the alcohol thing because I knew I knew you two didn't drink, and I know that Charles doesn't drink, and I know that it's been um, definitely of benefit to have a sober partner that is coming at it from a grounded perspective as opposed to influenced by irrational um things that perhaps just don't make sense when you're sober yeah no that's exactly right um yeah and i think if people are fighting with 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 alcohol in this system then all that's going to do is bring your emotions down and your energy down to want to drink more um and then obviously it's a suppressant so it actually suppresses a lot of emotions too so um if there's issues with partners that people have they often use drink to try and suppress those emotions and problems and issues and they turn to to alcohol to be able to cope um which is that all that's doing is what they say so pushing you know sweeping the problem under the carpet and eventually the carpet will have that big 
bump in it that we're going to trip over and fall. So the idea would be, yeah, not to try to not use alcohol as a suppressant of those emotions and problems in the relationship. Yeah, we, we, we call it, don't we, Emma, um, the self-medication. People are self-medicating so that they don't feel the feelings. But if the feelings do come up and they get an opportunity to fight them out, they're not fighting on an on a even keel. They're really not perhaps resolving anything um, because mm. you're, not, you're not seeing things clearly. Um, no. So perhaps um, one of the things people could consider is how much is alcohol and other type drugs playing a role in your relationship and could fighting and resolving issues sober automatically be of better quality straight away as opposed to waiting till you're drunk and then bringing it up because you've got Dutch courage a lot of the time. Um, you, you you're desensitised too. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that goes on with that sort of thing. I know um, because I didn't like conflict as a kid that you would say more when you were under a, had a few drinks under your belt. So you had a bit of Dutch courage and out came the truth. Mm -hmm. Just park mm -hmm. those truths because that's the beginning of some issue that you do need to resolve. But because you're doing it under the influence, you're better off parking it and coming back to it later and looking at it when you're sober perhaps and then having a conversation because you'll get further one of my big bugbears about partnerships with people is they're never really getting to the crux of the problem. They're never really talking about anything. They're never really sober. Um, and they're never really, you know, completely present and making time for these proper, long, deep conversations to try and find yeah. some sort of meaning to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I like to work with um, the pain body, with the Eckhart Tolle work that he that he talks a lot about the pain body. So a lot of people have read his books and understand this. Um, and that pain body lays dormant with us, with us all. We all have one, and it just takes a trigger to allow that pain to emerge. And when the pain emerges, we are then speaking from that pain. It's almost like the pain is our glasses, and everything we see is going to trigger that pain. And it, with alcohol, with it's in the mix. I guess that it's easier to kind of just let the pain body come out and do his do his thing and tell you exactly what's what's going on. But because we haven't got our uh, conscious mind in place, because a we're maybe half drunk and then we're speaking out of our pain, we haven't got that consciousness to be able to really um, work with that in a tangible way. Because we we are that part of us is asleep. So I think what it comes down to is if we, if, if we are in that free, sober um, mindset already and we're able to connect with the other person and we feel our pain rising, is to be able to talk about it um, with a really clear mind um, and, and we are not desensitised by any substance or anything and that we know that this is coming up for us. Um, and I think that's one thing that I when I work with people as well, talking about their pain and telling them to communicate it with their partners. So just in a normal over the dinner conversation, you can say like, I've always had this deep pain in me. Um, and when you, when you do this and this or this, it triggers that pain and I become, you know, this monster or this uh, person that just wants to go into attack. But really that pain is not about you. The pain is about what I'm holding onto. And I think sometimes it's good for a man to be able to hear this. Um, and it, I mean, it may be hard for them in the moment to, to kind of grab that idea that the pain isn't, isn't to do with them. But it's a good idea to have that to think about later because um, it's, they realise, if you both realise when you're triggered, you're not necessarily the one to blame, but you're the ones that's bringing the old pain up and talk about that. What is that? That's an incredible insight. So even though men and women are not officially counsellors or therapists, they could at least know that piece of information. And so when, when you say don't take it personally, you really mean don't take it personally because it's the pain. It's not 
you, it's you've just the trigger, you're not the thing. That's right. Yeah, to make our pain bigger, um, to prove that we're in pain, to be the victims of our pain. And um, if we're in a relationship, of course, it's the partner's going to trigger you all the time until you actually deal with that pain and heal the, the trauma from the past. Um, otherwise, you're, you're, you're continuously going around with this big wound that people are going to keep pressing. And it's, I think, unfortunately, that's the life of a human being is yeah. finding ways to, <laughs> to heal the pain within us and not, you know, so we don't blame the people that are triggering it all the time. Yeah. And yeah. that brings us to our conclusion. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. You've been amazing. I'm going to get you back in season two to go really deeply um, into your work. I know that um, you have, um, you've been an amazing therapist for me over the years. Uh, you and I have had lots and lots of amazing conversations and um, I can't thank you enough for being there for me. And uh, thank you for joining us for this particular new project. And uh, I know the listeners are really, really going to enjoy this episode. There's just so much inside it. Thank you. Thank you, Katrina. And ditto to you too. Like being, meeting you and having that friendship and the sharing and your words and therapy too. It's been, it's been a beautiful journey. <laughs> and I look forward to your, your new episodes. I your know. New project. New project. <laughs> Interesting. Something new for me anyway. <laughs> So see you soon, Emma, and thank you once again to all the listeners of The Modern Goddess. Mwah.